Let's move on into Genesis chapter 48, 48 through 50. It's kind of a big chunk of scripture, but I think as you go through, you can, you'll see why I've put all this together. Um, the, the majority of what we're going to read today is going to be Jacob blessing Joseph, his two sons, and all of his uh, children. So um, we, can, we can move fairly quickly through this, and I don't want to rush through it, but we'll be able to uh, keep a good pace. But it, we're going to see Jacob and Joseph will come to the end of their life here, and they will die. Um, they both asked to be buried in the promised land. Uh, we're going to see there are prophecies that Jacob, Jacob, of Mr. Hillcatcher himself, is going to be full of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be prophesying about things that are going to take place in the latter times. Joseph is going to have his brothers come to him again, and they're going to lie, and they're going to angle and say, Dad said when he's dead, be really, really nice to us. And um, it was an unnecessary manipulation, um, but it was, certainly speaks to their their conscience and how it still continues to cause them trouble for the wrong that they had done against their younger brother Joseph. And then Joseph is going to uh, prophesy. And he's going to speak of Israel's return back into the promised land. Let's pick up there at verses 1 through 10. And we see that Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, and there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought him near, and he kissed them and embraced them. So Jacob takes a moment calls Joseph. Joseph brings his two sons. And Jacob just says, well, let me just remind you, son, of some things. You know, your mom, I buried her near Bethlehem um, when we were coming back into to the land. Um, but God had told me that he was going to bless this family. He was going to bless me, that I was going to be, I was going to have many descendants, that I was going to, uh, that my descendants would inherit this land. And, 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 and here I am in Egypt, but he still has faith believing that all of that is going to take place. You know, there in verse 4, the last two words, um, speaking of the land, it says, the land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Everlasting possession. So this is actually one of the things I'm going to be talking about is, um, is Israel been replaced in theology with the church or are the promises to Israel, the ethnic group of people, are they still intact? And I believe firmly that they are still for the people of Israel, and it's, it's passages like this that are all over um, the Bible that lead me to this conclusion. When you speak of having eternal life, how long do you plan on that being? Eternal life, everlasting. When we read that God gave a promise to the children of Israel and that they were going to have it as an everlasting possession, we should take that to mean that it's going to be forever. This is going to be their perpetual uh, place that they dwell. And so them being back in the land now, I believe, is a fulfillment of a prophecy that God said in the latter days he would bring Israel back in. So that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about. Um, but this is a promise. This is a promise to them. And they took it literally. They, they believed that that land, I mean, and, I mean, how literal was it? Jacob is about to die in a foreign land, and yet he's still saying that land is an everlasting possession. 
I mean, he has great faith here as he looks forward. But God had so worked in this conniver's heart to bring him to the place at the end of his life. He is full of faith. He is full of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is going to speak through him. Now, in verses 11 through 20, Jacob is going to lay his hands on Ephraim and Manasseh's head. And um, it's... uh, Ephraim is the younger son. We see that in verse 14. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on, the, on Ephraim's head, who was the younger. So Joseph brought them up to him, but when it came time to lay his hands on their head, um, Joseph had arranged them so that the right hand would go on, the, on Manasseh and the left hand would go on Ephraim. But Jacob did one of these numbers. He crossed his hands, which meant the first and the greatest blessing was going to go to the younger. And Joseph says, hey, hey, whoa, dad, 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 you got it, you got it all twisted up here. And, and Jacob says, I know, I know what I'm doing here. I've got this under control. And he spoke of how Ephraim was going to be the blessed brother and that he would have a greater uh, prominence. And that is exactly what history Bore out after Solomon died, and then there was the division in uh, among the tribes, and they split. You had the northern tribe and the southern tribe. The northern tribes, ten of them, were called what? Ephraim. They they were referred to all of them through this one prominent tribe's name, Ephraim. And down in the south, it was Judah. Now listen, the culture and the tradition. Jacob was pretty aware of it, wasn't he? Remember, Jacob was the guy that earlier, when his brother came in famished, was hungry, ready to eat, he knew that he was not a real spiritually minded man and that he, desi- he despised his birthright. And, and uh, Esau says, hey, give me some food. He goes, sure, I'll give you some food. Just give me the birthright. He's like, all right, fine, whatever. I don't care. And so he, he took, they found a, a weak moment and he kind of manipulated the situation. Speaks of the carnality of Esau, but it speaks of the <laughs> manipulation of Jacob. And then later, as his mother let, you know, instructed him, say, listen, your dad, Isaac, is about to bless your older twin brother, uh, Esau. You got to get in there and you got to get that blessing for yourself. Oh, he'll never figure, he'll never do that. I mean, I, Esau's the hairiest man on planet Earth. He's in the Guinness Book of World Record for being the hairiest guy ever. There's no way. I'm a smooth-skinned guy. And she's like, don't worry about it. We're going to put animal skins on you. How hairy was this guy that animal skins could deceive the dad? I mean, if you said that Esau was as hairy as a farm animal, you would be actually right. And so he does it. He gets these, these you know, skins of a, of a goat. And he goes in and Jacob's like, uh, uh, Isaac's like, well, your voice sounds like Jacob, but man, when I touch you, you're definitely, you're hairy. And so he gave the blessing to Jacob, and through deceit he got it as a younger, he got the blessing of the elder. So Joseph's like, hey, dad, there's a, you know, this is the way things work. It's the, it's the older that gets the blessing. And he's like, yeah, I know how this works. Culturally, traditionally, that is typically how it works. However... God has line item veto power on that tradition and that culture. He can do whatever, that cultural practice, he can do whatever he wants. And so, far different guy, here he is, spirit-filled, saying, I know what's going on, but I know what the Lord is telling me. And he's telling me that this younger son, Ephraim, is going to be the blessed. And Manasseh is going to be blessed, too, but not like Ephraim. Have you found that God does things that don't always go along with your plans, your, your, your chart, your scheming, your traditions, your culture, that God likes to sometimes show up and interrupt them? I imagine if, for all of us who have walked with the Lord, we could speak to the fact of saying there are times in which God has shown up in my life and things didn't go according to the way I thought he was going to do it. Maybe not even just your own plan. Now that happens for sure. But sometimes we think we know the will and the plan of the Lord, and it doesn't go that way. Those can be some unsettling times in our walk with the Lord. How could I have heard wrong? I thought I heard from the Lord. And and we, we work through this. But I think what we need to just realize is that God is not in a box to have to perform and do things the way culture, tradition, or even my thinking goes. And I find comfort in that. 
Is anybody else comforted in the fact that there's a sovereign God who knows more than I do in my planning abilities? That, that he can step in and he can, over, he, can, he can do one of these on us. I know you thought this was, this was going to be your plan, but it's actually going to be this plan. And it all gets twisted and all gets changed in that last moment. We have it all set up. You stand here, you stand there, and then God just he, he switches it around. God knows. I mean, if, if Jacob was able to say to Joseph, son, I know. I, I, I know what's going on here. I'm knowingly putting my hand upon the youngest son. Then we can also imagine the Lord saying to us when we're like, what's going on? He's like, I know, I know what I'm doing here. I've got it under control. You don't need to be panicked. You don't need to be worried. This is exactly what I want to do. And it's in verse 19. I keep referring to it, so let's just read it. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he says, I know what's going on. And this is what I just want to say to you this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're praying and you're seeking him, and things are doing this to you right now, right? They're just, you, you think it's headed one way and it's now it's going a different. Don't be panicked. Don't be panicked. I mean, you'll be alerted. It's going to catch your attention for sure. But just rest and hear the voice of the Lord as you call out to him saying, I know. I know what I'm doing. I think all of us would have a much more peaceful life if we could learn to insert into our life this refrain, God knows. If we could just say that when, when things get twisted and they go in a different direction, we would find so much more peace in our present circumstances rather than wringing our hands and fretting and being all consumed with you know, anxiety. We can just say, God knows. I don't know. I thought it was going to be the older, but you're saying it's going to be the younger. That's not what anybody does, but Lord, you are sovereign and you are in control. It's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 that we really need to be uh, firmly rooted in, which says, and the Lord is speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Should we be surprised that God does things that surprises us? We shouldn't be surprised. But boy, when it happens, just sit back and enjoy it and thank the Lord for it. And I would speak confidently to this fact that in weeks, months, or years to come, you will look back on what you thought should have happened and what God graciously decided to do. And you will look back and you'll say, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you vetoed my plan and you did what you wanted to do. I am so thankful for this. You know, God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful. Those are, those are two amazing attributes of the Lord. But, you know, him being all-knowing and being all-powerful is not necessarily comforting. But this is who our God also is. He also is a God of love. So knowing that God is a God of love and that he has all power and he has all knowledge, those attributes come together to be a huge blessing in our life. I don't know what you're doing, Lord. And he's like, yeah, that's okay. I know a lot more than you. My ways are way higher than your ways. I do things that, that you don't know. Sometimes I, I break tradition and I break culture. Never break the word of God. But I'll... But he'll, he'll switch it up on us. He'll say, this is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to work out. And I, I don't want to belabor this point. And, you know, and I know there are deeply spiritual things that this applies to in our life. But I just, I'll share by way of testimony. Um, and some of you know this. Some of you don't know this. But when we were um, decided to buy this, this shopping center, um, I, was, I was not for it at first when the Lord began to open this door. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. That place is a mess over there. And this place was, I mean, you, some of you came in here for the prayer meetings. And this is what you guys were all doing. You know, and you're, we were wearing masks before masks were instructed when we came in here. Because it was, it was a mess. And there are days I would come in here into this place 
And I would walk in and, and I, just to pray, and I would start to get panicked. I'm like, what in the world did I do? We had this nice little building over there on Leesville Road. It was, you know, nearly moving towards being paid off. Um, and, and, you know, so we, we bought all of this, and I was like, oh, Lord, what? And then as we began to build it, um, the Lord obviously was building my faith and stuff, but things apparently kept going wrong with delays after delay after delay. And, um, and, and now it, was taking, it wasn't taking months. It was taking like 18 months, and, and there was rain filling up the, you know, these huge 12-foot footers, and we couldn't do anything, and this is going wrong, and that was going wrong. And while all that was happening, my way was we're going to get in here, we're going to do a quick little fix-up job, and then we'll worry about the rest of the mess as we have time and as we have resources. But God had a different plan. And as he began to walk that out, <laughs> it was scary. Because it's like, oh, you have to do this now. Oh, and you have to do that. Oh, and this thing we didn't know about. And so this has to happen. Oh, and that's like five times more than we thought. Sorry. You know, and it's just like all of this was happening. And, um, you know, the Lord, he supplied for it all. I mean, he supplied for it all. And, I mean, we, we it's just, I'm not going to go with the financial blessing of it all, but you just, uh, you can... And I remember in the midst of it, I'm like, oh, this is such a trial. This is such a trial. This is such a trial. And one day I was thinking about the trials in my life. I wasn't depressed. I was just thinking about different trials. I was reading in James chapter 1. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I'm like, well, what are some of my trials? I thought, well, that building project was a trial. You know what the Lord said? He goes, no, it wasn't. I'm like, yeah, it was. It's like, he goes, goes, no, that was not a a trial. I'm like, no, it was a trial. I mean, don't you remember? And And he's like, it was a blessing. You thought it as a trial. I knew you didn't have enough faith to do everything I wanted to do. So I just brought you to the edge and then I pushed you off. And so, but I had it the whole time. And so I thought this was going to happen, but this is what took place. And as I look out here, now many of you have been saying, why did you build this thing so small? And I'm like, oh, if you would have known what I was going through. <laughs> Standing in this place and looking at this, I can, I, I'm just being honest with you. There are times where I'd be going, you are so presumptuous. You think that the people are going to come and fill this place up? What are you doing? Get out, run. <laughs> and, and look here, we're at three services, and the Lord knows. Now, I thought it was going to be this, and it ended up being that. And I'm glad it was. I'm glad that my plan was not the one that was carried out. And I, have, I say that just to give you a frame of reference. You apply it in your own life. Your God is in control. He knows all things. He's all-powerful, and he loves you. Amen. Now, you may be in a trial, but you may be just in a, I'm going to bless you, and you don't know it, and it feels like a trial. So Ephraim and, uh, is, is blessed as the younger, and indeed that is... Ephraim and Manasseh were two blessed tribes, but Ephraim was the greater. Um, In verses 21 through 22, uh, we read, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Now you're going to come back. Now he's going to come back in a coffin, but he's going to get back there. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers. So Reuben was the oldest, but... Joseph is going to get the greater blessing. He says, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So some, some battle went down and he got a blessing. He says, this is going to be yours. You know, Joseph was the upright son. We're going to read of some of these other sons, not so upright. And the Lord blesses him um, and, and gives him this extra portion after all that he had gone through. And so Joseph becomes this, this one. Now, all, listen, all of the sons, all of the sons are going to get an inheritance. All of them. They're going to all have a place. They are all descendants. But based on how they live their lives, it's going to have an impact on what happens with their descendants and, and the blessing that they, they receive. And I, I, this reminds me of how all of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, all of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, that we believe he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, that faith in the Lord will, will bring us into an eternity with him, right? We're going to live forever with the Lord. We're going to have an inheritance. But not all of us are going to receive the inheritance 
that maybe God intended for us to have because of failures and mistakes. And that will become clear as we move into to chapter 49. But when difficulty comes into our life, like Joseph, there can be this temptation on our part. I've got to go make up for it. I've got to go get what was, was taken from me. These guys, these jokers, they took 17 years of my life. They sold me into slavery. They humiliated me. The things I went through ended up in prison. It's all with you. And Joseph could have looked and said, I'm going to get what's mine. They, they're going to pay. Actually, he's not going to do that at all. And what we see is that God just says, Joseph, you are going to get an extra portion. That which has been taken from you is going to be repaid in double. And I, would, I just want to read a couple of verses. The first one's in Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. And, and just as we read this, tell me, doesn't this sound like just a great... I mean, Joseph could be writing these verses. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, your eleven brothers, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome with, uh, by evil, but overcome evil with good. It just sounds like the whole life of Joseph, doesn't it? But this idea of, well, I've been taken advantage of, somebody's taken from me, um, and I've got to go and I've got to get it, I've got to get it back. All right, listen, there, there, there may be a process of confronting and talking and trying to work it out, but I just want you to know that you never should be going to carnal, fleshly means of retribution to try and get back what has been lost. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. It's in the Lord's hands to deal with those things. Well, it was mine. It was taken. Just like Joseph got it. We, you know, we, we, we can lose things by people's sin and by their, um, you know, uh, their harmful acts. But look at what the Lord does. The Lord is able to take care of it. But we can get caught up with this idea of vengeance. i got to make them pay. They're going to feel the consequences. I am the battering ram of God, and they are going to know that God is a God of justice and holiness. But wait a minute. There's a place to confront. There's a place to reconcile. There's a place to try and work things out. But it is not your place to bring vengeance into somebody's life and to make them pay. Retribution is not in your hands. It is in the Lord's hands. And if you take up the vengeance game, understand this, that as you go to show vengeance, you are taking something that belongs to God and you're taking it away from him and you are now acting out a way that God says, that's mine to do. So don't allow yourself to be consumed with bitterness and anger and wrath. Give it to the Lord. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus puts it this way. Blessed are the meek, or oh, how happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Just remember this. The inheritance you're going to get, it far outweighs anything that anybody has ever taken from you. Amen. Whatever they take from you, God is going to repay in such incredible fashion. I mean, we are going to inherit. We're going to rule and reign with Christ upon this earth. Don't be worried about if you've lost a little bit in the process. You're going to get the whole thing back. And, and so trust in the Lord. Wait upon him. And just see how God blesses Joseph, even though he had been treated poorly. So blessings for Manasseh, for Manasseh, for Ephraim, for Joseph. Now as we move into chapter 49, verses 1 through 28, Jacob is going to bless each of the 12 tribes. In some instances, it's very easy to see what he's talking about. In other instances, we just don't have enough information about the history of these tribes to know exactly how these things came to pass. But he is talking about events that will take place within their descendants in the latter days. Look at verse 1 of chapter 49. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. So he's looking out. He's not talking about what's just going to happen in the next 10 years. He's saying this is what's going to happen 
with your descendants. And we begin by looking at Reuben. Look at verse 3. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity. Boy, he's feeling good right now, isn't he? And the excellency of power. Unstable as water, <laughs> you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So he had sexual relations with one of the handmaidens. And it says, you are unstable. You're like boiling water. Unstable is the idea here, right? Water that's just rolling and bubbling. You, you, you can't rest upon that. And that's how you are, Reuben. And yet, Reuben, you're my firstborn. You were the son of opportunity. You were the son that had everything going for you. And yet, you sinned. And because of this sin, you will, you'll have a place, but you are not going to have, you're not going to live up to the potential that your life would have been as a firstborn son. Must have been hard words to hear. His sin, um, who knows, maybe... Maybe the brothers didn't know, but they all know right now. It's like, oh, okay, that's what went on. And so this, this becomes, um, and again, this idea that um, he's part of the inheritance. He is a son, and yet his actions are going to keep him from experiencing the full reward that the Lord wanted for him. And uh, this is the deal. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your soul is saved, and it is secure under the blood of Christ. But as you live your life and as I live my life as a son or a daughter of the Lord, I must know that there are certain things that God wants me to accomplish in my life. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, created for good works. And 1 Corinthians, it talks about how we, that on the judgment day before the Lord, not of soul, but of works, that on the judgment day, those works that were done for the name of the Lord will be like precious metals that survive the fire, and those things that we've done in the flesh will be like straw that are consumed. And you, your soul will save, but it will be a loss of reward. How can you lose what you haven't received? That's what God intended. And in a similar way for Reuben, there was so much promise, but his sin kept him from being able to walk in the fullness of it. You're like, well, too late for me. It's not too late. You're still drawing breath. Start living for the Lord. Repent of those things in your life that are keeping you from fulfilling what God has called you to do. Well, you know what's important? It's how we finish our life. That's what's important. How I cross the finish line. And maybe you have a, a, a history of, of, of goof-ups and failures. Decide today you're going to finish your walk with the Lord with dignity and excellency. As a firstborn, you're going to do it with the might and the power and the grace that God supplies. That you might have a good day when you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat. Verses 5 and 7, Simeon and Levi, they are denounced for their sin in Shechem when they murdered the men. Um, who had been circumcised because, remember, Dinah had been raped, their sister, um, and they felt like dad wasn't taking care of it, so they wanted to, Shechem wanted to marry their sister Dinah, and they said, yeah, fine, that's great, we'd love to do that, just all of you got to get circumcised. And when they got circumcised, they waited a couple of days till they were in the most pain, and then they came back and they wiped out every man, and they took the oxen, as we read there at the end of verse 6, and in their self-will, they hamstrung the ox so that they, they cut the Achilles tendon so these animals could no longer work and do what they were supposed to do. And, and Jacob says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. This was a personal vendetta. And Jacob says, This is not right. And these guys, uh, Levi, of course, never, he's scattered. He never inherits. And Simeon is spread out through the tribe of Judah as well. So these things actually come to pass. Um, Judah, in verses 8 through 12, still with Leah's descendants, right? Judah is the one through whom Jesus comes. He's of, the, of this tribe. Um, and Judah had some severe mistakes, but we see how he changed his life, right? We see how he repented, how he did the right thing, how he went for Joseph, how he defended Joseph. Um, and, and so there was a change that took place. And so we read in verse 8, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. There's a play on word because Judah means praise. So they're going to praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. 
Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion who shall arouse him. So we're talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, so that royalty, nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him, Shiloh being a reference to Messiah, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So Jesus comes as the one to save. He is of that royal line. Maybe some references here to the battle of Armageddon as he comes with his garments uh, you know, in wine, blood-stained. And we think, I think it's Isaiah 61 that speaks of Jesus coming in this way. But man, Leah, the wife that Jacob did not want, is the one who produces um, the, the son Judah through whom the Messiah comes. And this is what the first prophecy of Scripture that was given to uh, Eve is that, that the, the seed of the woman would destroy that, uh, the head of the serpent and that he would you know, reverse the curse. And it now passes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, not to Joseph, but to Judah. And so the hope of salvation is now running through this tribe. Um, Zebulun, verses 13 through 21, we get the other sons. Zebulun um, is going to be one that enjoys uh, the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships. His borders shall adjoin Sidon. As far as we know, that never really happened. Um, they were 65 miles inland from the ocean. They were on the Via Maris trade route. So maybe they got the benefit of all the goods coming and going. But there is a prophecy in Ezekiel that would seem to indicate in the millennial kingdom he will be in that place. So we'll have to wait and see. Again, we don't have information to know how all of these things were fulfilled. Issachar um, is going to be a servant in a very fruitful land, the Jezreel Valley. That's the battle where, the, where Megiddo is. Uh, verses 16 through 18, Dan is going to be a judge. Samson was one of the great judges uh, from the tribe of Dan. Interesting thing about Dan, they are not mentioned as 12,000 sealed Jews during the Great Tribulation. So you read through, you go through the 12 tribes, and 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes are, um, are sealed and no harm can come upon them. But Dan is not mentioned. And there's speculations, but we don't know for certain. And maybe because it was the first tribe to go off into idolatry. Gad was um, always going to be fighting. They were on the eastern sh side of the Jordan, which meant they were very vulnerable to attacks from the other enemies. And Asher would be a tribe, verse 20, that would provide food to royalty. But verse 21, this is an interesting one. Verse 21 it says, Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Okay. Not a lot there, really. Is it? What is a deer let loose? I mean, well, anybody hunting ever seen a deer let loose and run away from you? Yeah, I know you have. So, you know, there's no, there's no catching. It goes with speed. And it says, and, and you are going to use beautiful words. Listen to this. Of the 12 disciples... All but one, Judas, were from the tribe of, anybody want to guess? Naphtali. And what did they do? They used their mouth to bring beautiful words to the world. All of us sit here, if we were to follow the kind of the, the gospel lineage tree, all of us would go back to one of these disciples who preached the gospel and it kind of spread throughout the nations. But you know, the gospel went forth so quickly in that first generation, didn't it? I mean, this was the, the accusation of the enemies against the church of Jesus Christ was they have come here and they have turned the world upside down. Actually, it was turning it right side up. And they're turning it right side up with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I don't know what else maybe this could be referring to, but as I studied this, I, I think this is... This is what we're talking about. They were the gospel proclaimer using beautiful words, and they did it with speed. 
They got out there. They attacked it. Full of the Holy Spirit, empowered, they, they went out into the nations and the gospel was preached. All of them were from this region. Um, we're all chosen uh, to be the disciples of the Lord. And, and this is something for us today. We still, we got to be the ones. There still should, we all once should be part of the tribe of Naphtali, right? We should go with speed and urgency and focus, bringing the good word of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That's still on our watch. It doesn't matter if the world likes us less or more. It doesn't matter if the government says okay or no. It doesn't matter if countries are closed or open. It doesn't matter if there's a pandemic or no pandemic. The gospel mission of preaching the gospel remains the same. It is unaltered. And it is in our hands. It's been entrusted to us to be the ones that go like a deer bringing the good news of the word of the Lord. And so may we, we be like the tribe of Naphtali. In verses 22 through 26, again, Joseph receives the greatest blessing in the short run, but um, it's going to be Judah that really is blessed. As Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, repeatedly, right? Shot at him and hated him, but his bow remained in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. Do you ever wonder, how did he go through all this? You know, you think about archers in a battle. You know, how, many, how long would it take? How many arrows? How many minutes be, when they're you know, letting those arrows fly before their, their arms just begin to get fatigued and get wobbly? And it gives us that picture, you know, that his hands were made strong like an archer. He, he just was steadied by the Lord. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. God will steady you. He's going to make you strong. The hands of God Almighty will see you through. Don't say, this is too much. You know why you don't say that? It's not because it's bad. It's not because it's even potentially overwhelming. You don't say, I can't handle that because God Almighty is there to walk with you through whatever you're going through. How in the world did Joseph maintain his integrity, not become bitter, do well in prison and all the rest because God Almighty was working in his life. And that same Lord is working in your life. So he just continues to bring a blessing upon him. And then verses 27 and 28, his younger brother Benjamin, and he says, you're going to be a ravenous wolf and you're going to devour the prey and you're going to divide the spoil. And Benjamin is noted for being a tribe that just did a lot of fighting. In chapter 49, verses 29, all the way down to chapter 50, verse 14, Jacob is going to pass. They're going to mourn him in Egypt for 70 days. He's going to be um, taken into the care of the morticians, if you will. But Joseph is careful to make certain that he doesn't go um, into the hands of um, those that kind of were cultic. But he goes into the, the physician's hands um, to take care of this. They mourn him 70 days. True to his word, he takes his dad up into Canaan. And as they go, it's, it's all of his descendants except for uh, young, young children and um, uh, the wives staying in the land of Goshen. And even the whole house of Pharaoh comes up, not Pharaoh. So there was a massive entourage that went back up to this place where he's going to be buried, where in Machpelah, where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and Rachel, and Leah were buried. Remember, Rachel's buried somewhere else, near Bethlehem. But he has to be buried in this place where his, his uh, Abraham, Isaac were, and um, grandmother and, and mother. And he has to be buried. And as they come up there, man, the whole uh, you know, Canaan territory is just looking at what's going on. They, they're amazed at what takes place. And we'll pick it up at verse 11 um, of chapter 50. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Miserim. I mean, they just changed the name because it was such an impressive sight, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them, for his son carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. 
And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury. So he comes back. He said, I, I, you know, I know I'm living in Egypt, but don't, let, don't bury me here. And I, you know, I, I want to be buried in the land of promise. He was, we talked about last week, he was looking forward to the promises of God and he didn't want to be stuck there in Egypt. We start to wrap it up here in verses 15 through 21. As they get back to Egypt, his brothers um, come to him and saying, Dad wanted to give us you a message before he died, which is not true. But Joseph is going to affirm his forgiveness to them. Let's read these verses. When Joseph's brothers saw that their dad, that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of their servants, of the servants of God your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. I mean, Joseph is a, this guy cries a lot. I think this is the sixth or seventh time we, hear, we see him crying. He was a tender-hearted guy, you know? Just, he, he just cried in the moment. And, um, and this is breaking his heart. There, why does it break his heart? Because it's like, you think all that I've done has been for show, for dad? Now, this has been legitimate. I have truly forgiven you. And so he weeps about this. Verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for, I am, am, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive, now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph is such a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and the mercy and the grace and the kindness he extends to his brothers. <laughs> you know, they're afraid that now that dad is dead, he's just going to let us have it. And Joseph's like, that is not going to happen. I am not going to do that. And it breaks my heart that you would think that I would do that. And he weeps and they come down and, and then he speaks to them. He first of all says, listen, Look what God did. I know what you did. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph was such a man of God that he was able to step back, even in the treachery that was shown to him, and say, I can see the hand of God at work. He was not a vindictive man, was he? I mean, we have no account of him going back and letting Mrs. Potiphar have it. Right? We don't see him doing this with his brother's um, and, and causing harm to God. He was a man that understood the grace and the mercy of God in such a beautiful and fantastic way. And in some ways, it's almost like, how did he know God so well? Because it wasn't like there was a lot of information out there, was there? He didn't have, you know, a Gideon's. He didn't have a little bread box with promises of God. He didn't have even a scroll to, to read and, and, and to know about the ways of the Lord. He had the oral tradition, and yet look what he knows. And look how he models, and he walks in it. And I would just say, if he can do it, how much more us who have the Spirit of the living God dwelling within us, the Spirit of God upon us to empower us, and the Word of God to guide us and tell us how. And he shows this amazing grace, and he just says, God is in control, brothers. He wanted to save people. So he allowed me to come, come and to be rejected by you guys. But, but he raised me up. And isn't that exactly what the father has done with his son? He sent his son ahead to save people. Because he needed to come and redeem mankind. And Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. And all who put faith and trust in him will be saved. This is what the Lord is doing. And our evil, we rejected him. It's our sin that put him on the cross. And yet, what does he do to us? He comes and he speaks kindly to us. And he comforts us. And he says, don't have a troubled soul. I'm going to take care of you. 
And this is just something I pray that if there are any of you that are walking today and the guilt and the shame and the torment of your mind and your conscience from things that maybe that happened 10 years ago or 20 years ago or even 50 years ago and you're just still every day you're walking in the guilt and the shame of it, I want you to be liberated. I want you to hear the words of Jesus spoken more powerfully, more sincerely, and more deeply than even Joseph. Don't be afraid. You meant for evil, but I'm working it for good. I want to save people. Don't be afraid. Be comforted. And hear the kind words of your Savior into your life. This is our God. Does he, is he okay with us to live in sin? No, he's not. He's not. But when we sin, we have an advocate. We have mercy and grace we can run to. And maybe, I don't know what it is in your life that just, it's this dark cloud that hangs over and it just never seems to go away. Be liberated from that if you have come to the Lord and you've asked for forgiveness. Let it go. How far does the Lord separate our sins? As far as the East from the West. Is there an East Pole? Is there a West Pole? No, there's a North Pole and a South Pole, and you can measure the distance. You can measure the distance from where we are to the North Pole or South Pole. You can't measure the distance. How far East can you go? Well, you can go East forever. You just keep going around the, the planet. You just keep going around. You can turn around and go West. You, you, I mean, you just keep heading in that direction. God is separate. He forgives and he forgets our sin. I believe that when we've truly repented and we've asked the Lord to forgive us and we keep bringing it up, are you really forgiving me? I think sometimes the Lord's heart just weeps. They don't understand me. They don't understand the depth of my grace that I was sincere. I was sincere when I forgave them. And they don't have to beat themselves up. They don't have to be afraid anymore. So I don't know if it's for you this morning, but if that is you, if you've owned it, you've repented of it, you've come to the foot of the cross, then be liberated today and walk in the joy of the Lord and the restoration that he brings. And I realize some, there's some, oh, you got to be careful with that grace stuff, man. You give that grace out too freely. People are going to just, they're going to abuse it. Not a true believer. I don't believe that. I believe false teachers. I believe those who've, maybe think they, they know the Lord, can abuse the grace of God, but not the true believer. The true believer can never think about trampling Jesus Christ underfoot. You can't do that. I mean, we stumble and we fall, but man, it pains our heart when we do. There's not a plan to live a life of sin because, you know, of the grace of God. No, the person who says that is a person who's never experienced the first shred of the grace of God. Because when it touches your heart, Everything changes. Old stuff passes away. Everything becomes new. And so be liberated. And be like Joseph towards other people. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Can you, or is that happening in your life? Are you walking in peace as much as you're able to produce peace? I'm not going to forgive them. Careful with that. Careful with that. We're to be like the Lord. He forgave us a great debt. Let's go forgive a little infraction. In comparison, that's what it is. Let's close here. Joseph as a dying prophecy. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. So you just see the peace at the end of his life, right? And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. <laughs> Hebrews 11.22 says, By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. It's like that. He didn't want to be in Egypt. He knew where his home was. He knew where the promises were. Now he says, you got you to make sure you carry up my bones. 
Now, when they made the journey from Egypt up to bury Jacob, it probably would have been about an 11-day journey. How long of a journey was it when they left Egypt with Joseph's bones before he got buried? 40 years. I don't know what spiritual point you make out of that. I'm just thinking that was a lot to ask to happen. For 40 years, through their whole wilderness wanderings, his bones were being carried about. But he's prophesying of what the Lord is going to do in the future. Isn't it interesting? We began in Genesis with the creation of God and life and beauty and the beauty of fellowship with the Lord. And we close the book of Genesis with a coffin in Egypt. That's not the way the Lord intended it to be. The Lord did not intend for us to be in a coffin in this world. He intended us to walk in the cool of the garden in fellowship with the Lord. If you don't like the way the world looks, if you don't like the corruption of men, if you don't like sickness and disease, then get behind the Lord because he doesn't like it either. He dislikes it more than you dislike it. He dislikes it so much that he gave his life to restore and make it all right. He did that with the, our souls. But one day, the Lord is going to recreate this planet. And when he recreates it and he rules and reigns on it, this earth is finally going to be seen. We'll be able to finally see it for what it's really like. And I don't know how long it's going to take the Lord to do that. You know, because after the Great Tribulation, seven years of volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, wars, famine, disease, sickness, this place is going to be ravaged. I mean, vegetation is going to be burned up. Oceans and rivers and lakes are going to be polluted. It is going to be a mess, and the Lord is going to return to this. But the prophets speak of how the earth is going to be, begin to blossom again. My question, is the Lord going to use the natural processes to recreate this planet over time? Or my choice, my vote, is that he'll do like an instant recreation like he did in the garden. Now, I don't know. I kind of think I'm not going to get that. But I'm hopeful that we could stand back and the Lord comes back at his second coming. The, 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 the mountain splits. The water begins to flow down into the seas. And that there's just this chain reaction. like Kind of like a, a movie where you see things sped up and it just kind of just blossoms and comes and it flourishes. Now, whether it's short time or long time, that's what's going to happen. I just, I have a hard time. Well, I want to see it that way. That's part of it. But I also... I just have a hard time seeing the Lord ruling and reigning upon a messed up, devastated planet. So maybe it's going to happen instantaneously, and we'll just be able to see the recreation of this planet as the Lord intended it. So if you don't like the way things are right now, hang on. Get behind Jesus. He's making all things beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. I thank you, Lord, for this book that we have studied has given us so much insight into why the world is the way it is today, but also that you are so determined to send a Redeemer. As we close this book, he hasn't come yet, but Lord, we know standing here today that he has come, and we can appreciate all of the drama that happened in this family and around marriages and around birthrights. And Lord, you are true to your word, and you are still true today. You will fulfill all these things for your good, for your blessing.